Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California, I'm Krista, and we are the Sixth Sense Society. Welcome to another episode of the Sixth Sense Society. We're really happy to have on board Dr. George Schwimmer, also known as my father, who will be talking about Edgar Casey and past life recall. Uh, before we get into a little bit more about him and the show itself, however, I'm going to kick it over to Michael because he has an announcement to make. Hey, gang. Um, really looking forward to the show tonight. I think it's going to be a, a super interesting topic. Um, we're actually pre-recording this show, so you'll be hearing it a little bit later on, and we haven't formalized our, our shows for the end of May quite yet. So for information on those, just go to our website, sixcentsociety.com, um, and you'll find all the information there, and you can find out what the next show is going to be when the time comes. So Hopefully that will just make it easy for you guys. Um, and, of course, you know, you'll find information, links to all of our guests, and you just go to our, our videocast podcast page and you'll find all the information if you want to get in touch with them. And uh, so there is some great people, so hopefully you guys will take advantage of that. So I'm going to keep this brief, so I'm going to kick it back over to Krista and we'll jump right into the show and let's have a great show, guys. Great. Thanks, Michael. So my father has quite a diverse background and has a background initially in theater. His formal education includes a BA in literature and philosophy from Washington and Jefferson College, an MFA in theater directing and acting from Carnegie Institute of Technology, advanced graduate studies at Tulane University and his PhD in theater from Columbia Pacific University. He has directed over 40 plays and a short film. So that's one part of his life. Tonight, his metaphysical background is important to know as well. He read early on There is a River by Thomas Sugru, which was the beginning of his journey on some level because he was introduced to Edgar Cayce, one of the most amazing uh, documented clairvoyants of uh, our times. He, Dr. Schwimmer has also been studying and practicing metaphysical disciplines for over 40 years. He's a certified past life therapist trained by the Association for Past Life Research and Therapy serving on its board of directors for four years. He also practiced past life therapy for over 12 years. He was trained at the Arthur Ford International Academy of Mediumship to give spiritual past life readings and also as a spirit releasement therapist. He trained as a shaman with Dr. Alberto Villido and the Four Winds Society uh, starting in July of 2005, becoming a full Mesa carrier in October 2006, and receiving the Munikai Rites in February 2007. He's also a Reiki master. I took the first two degrees with him when I was younger. Uh, by my count, Dad, you've written over, it looks like, 20 books, uh, which are all available on Amazon under his name, George Schwimmer, as well as screenplays, stage plays, including one on Edgar Casey, which I think is really uh, amazing. So as you can see, he has a rich background, both in drama and in metaphysics. So welcome, Dad. We're really happy you are talking with us today by phone. Uh, so what would you like to start with? Do you want to start with a little bit of um, the background of the past life, a little bit about yourself? Uh, I want to start with when it all started. Um, my first spiritual teacher in uh, 1978 was the Reverend uh, Marion Starnes of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, in addition to uh, being a minister, she was a uh, phenomenal uh, psychic. And uh, she used to come to uh, Raleigh uh, once a month. And uh, for, I think, about two years, I would go and uh, listen to uh, her talks. And the only thing I remember uh, her saying, which at the time uh, I found confusing, she said, we are all one. Hmm. And uh, that that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me <laughs> until 
until a lot later. Now, to make sense out of uh, reincarnation, uh, I want to go back to uh, when uh, everything was uh, created. And uh, according to uh, various people, uh, including the Bible, the spiritual universe was created first and then the physical universe. And the question I had about that was, created from what? Uh, we'll never get uh, an answer to where God came from, but uh, God created the universe. What did he create it out of? But specifically, what did he create the spirits out of? If, if there was nothing but God, then what were the little spirits uh, created from? And the obvious answer, which wasn't very obvious to me uh, <laughs> uh, years ago, is that they were created out of God itself. And uh, that sounds a little weird and confusing, at least it was to me. But if you consider something like a uh, bowl of water, and if you spill it on the floor, you'll see a lot of small drops of water of various sizes. Uh, if you then uh, manage to get it all back together again, then you have one uh, big piece of water. A quantity of water. Mm -hmm. And so just like water, you can have an ocean and have millions of drops and they can evaporate and they can rain and then they go all go back into the ocean again. And I believe that is how spirit also works. Yeah, that's a so great analogy the, for sure. So the we uh, as spirits or as entities, as uh, Casey likes to call us, were we actually weren't created, we were separated in a manner of speaking from God. We are all bits and pieces of God, which uh, your uh, authorities will say means we have all of the attributes of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, in fact, one of the things that really struck me when I read the Bible was that Jesus says, ye are God's. And for years and years and years, it made absolutely no sense to me. Now it does when I consider that we were and are parts of God. Mm -hmm. Now, this goes even further, and this will explain uh, in part at least how reincarnation uh, works. I am not going to reincarnate. I, George Schwimmer, and I'm not reincarnating. I am a part of my entity, or as I prefer to call it, my higher self, and I will go on to have other experiences in other realms, people call it heaven, whatever. But I, as George Schwimmer, will not reincarnate. Okay, so how does that uh, work? Well, if you consider, uh, uh, look, at, look at the entity as being a sun, and the sun has these rays coming off it, uh, as, uh, as you often see in drawings. Each one of those rays is a person, and so each of those incarnations belongs to the entity. Hmm. I like that. Okay. So... Even though you die physically in, in this in this in this life, you go on to other experiences, which for the most part we don't know about and we don't understand. Mm -hmm. But that is, I believe, that uh, reincarnation uh, works. Now, uh, spirits weren't, according to Edward Casey. Uh, these entities weren't supposed to uh, come to Earth. Uh, but uh, according to uh, Casey, they found the, the Earth so fascinating, they came down here and they not only observed, but again, according to Casey, uh, they would pop into and out of everything. Mm -hmm. uh, animals, trees, rocks. Rivers, they had the capability of getting inside each of these and experiencing them. Mm -hmm. 
Well, they found this so fascinating that eventually, Casey said, they started to forget they were spirits. And this is when all the trouble uh, started, and this is where uh, reincarnation eventually came in when they were having all these adventures on planet Earth and did not remember they were spirits, and they were doing things that were not spiritual, and they had to go and either make up for it or learn uh, different lessons uh, about it. Uh, so, for instance, uh, very interestingly, I had a student once who discovered he was gay when he was in his early 20s. And uh, he became a writer, and uh, eventually uh, he wrote uh, several books. And uh, one, bu one book that he wrote was obviously autobiographical, and he mentions having a dream where he was a guard at a Nazi concentration camp for gay men. Ooh, wow. And he comes back. And he comes back in this lifetime as a and not only does he come back to experience what it feels like to be gay, but he became a writer of the gay experience, which had a profound effect on me reading what he wrote. Wow. Uh, and uh, you, may, you may remember him as George Whitmore. Oh, I didn't know that about him. Wow. Yeah, I do remember him definitely. Yeah. Wow, what an amazing... You know, that's an interesting example of reincarnation, too, because I think some people think you just get punished when you come back rather than seeing the other side of things, you know? No, what 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 it really is uh, about for, for the greatest extent is that you have... To, the Earth is a duality, and you have to see it. So even if you didn't do anything wrong, you need to go and see what it feels like from the other end. So mm -hmm. if you've been a king and you've been spoiled and you were rich and et cetera, et cetera, uh, this may really go to your head. So in another lifetime, uh, you will be, in many cases, a pauper or a person who has to really struggle. And it's not a punishment. It's just simply to show you the duality of everything on, on the planet. Right. Now, uh, a couple of other things uh, before I get to a more practical part here. Uh, Casey said that spirits or entities at first were both male and female, and both the male and female part of the entity would reincarnate in a body. Well, after a while, for whatever reason, the male principle and the female principle separated, so now that there's uh, for all practical purposes, uh, two entities, one male and female, and they usually incarnate as males or females, but they will, again, because you have to experience everything in a duality, if you're the female part of, of the entity, you, you may experience or you, you will experience uh, at least a couple of male lives to, feel, uh, to uh, uh, experience what it feels like uh, to be of the other sex. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, oh, one interesting thing that I don't remember if it was Casey or somebody else has said, and that is that the two parts of this entity don't normally reincarnate together because if they both uh, messed up, uh, it could set them up tens of uh, thousands of years. So they will normally uh, uh, incarnate at different periods of time. And the one exception which I found fascinating was Casey said that Mary part of the same entity. What was I? I couldn't and, quite hear uh, that. Mary, Jesus, and his mother Mary oh. Oh, were, were part of the same. the same entity. Mary was the female part, and Jesus was the, the male part of the entity. Oh, I've never heard that. And That's interesting. Is, yes, it's very interesting. Okay, one other thing which I... Well, there's a couple of things I want to mention. Uh, we all have cosmic families... And uh, you have uh, supposedly about a hundred. Oh wow! And, uh, these are the <laughs> and these are the people you reincarnate with. And uh, there there are many reasons why you do this, but anyway, I just want to mention you know that you have karmic families that you continually reincarnate with. Mm -hmm. And uh, to prepare for this, I just sat down and I thought, based on the, my recalls, what do I recall? Uh, 
the people who I have recall of. And I've incarnated with my father, my mother, my three children, my ex-wife, eight women, a male playwright, a male philosophy professor, and a female student that I know about. Mm -hmm. So that indicates that we don't come here to, you know, uh, freelance all by ourselves. We incarnate with other people, and usually uh, you have very specific things that you are trying to work out with each other. And you will have a planning session before you come on Earth uh, with others who are going to incarnate with you and also with your uh, spirit guides. And most people have a five, five or more spirit guides, and they help you um, not only uh, during your life but uh, as you're planning your incarnations. So is that why sometimes when you meet okay. someone, you feel like a connection with them? I'm sorry? So is that why when you meet people, sometimes you feel a strong connection because you're part of the same cosmic family? Yes, definitely. I had, I had one uh, very unusual thing happen to me three times. Uh, the first time, it was a, a young woman I was thinking about getting married to. Second time was uh, my ex-wife. And the third time, it was a, a professor of Greek from Bennington College whose play I was directing. Hmm. And in all three situations, when I first glanced at them, a spark of golden light came from their forehead and hit mine. Oh, wow. That's really and unique. That, it's very strange. I don't, yeah. I don't understand what it is, <laughs> but obviously, we had some kind of connection. Right. Okay. Uh, last thing I want to mention, then, that's free will and predestination. Uh, I had a philosophy professor, and I asked him, I mean, a, a, a literature professor once, and we were talking about free will and predestination, and he said it's both. And I couldn't quite understand that at the time, and I think I understand it now. Uh, I remember uh, this uh, one uh, famous psychic, I can't think of her name now, but uh, anyway, she said, some things are set and cannot be changed. They're determined by everybody, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Or in the cases of uh, your life, you made this plan. So, for instance, uh, you're supposed to meet somebody uh, in this lifetime when you're 22 years old. Okay, that's set in stone. What you do with that person is your free will. Mm. You can either hook up with them or not hook up with them. It's up to you. But uh, the meeting uh, is part of the plan that you determined. Okay, I wanted to get those uh, general uh, things out first. Now I want to go and start with the background of the greatest uh, psychic uh, the 20th century is known and possibly uh, – either the greatest psychic or one of the greatest psychics uh, of all time, which is Edward Casey. Mm -hmm. And it goes back, at, you, you, need to, you, put it, uh, you need to put it into some, type of a, some kind of a context, uh, because when I first ran across him, and uh, when I first started reading about Casey and other people like them, healers and other psychics, it just seems like, well, you know, all these people are just sort of freaks in matters speaking. You know, <laughs> they seem to come out of nowhere and uh, seem to have no connection to anything and just suddenly appear and, and, you know, a book is written about them and they're famous, et cetera. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I believe that they had the abilities, but I couldn't understand, you know, where it fit into the human experience. Mm. So I discovered with uh, Casey that... Uh, it began with the German Franz Mesmer, who uh, discovered what he called was magnetism, and he would put people into a trance state. I believe he used some kinds of passes, which I believe uh, had to do with the chakras. But uh, anyway, uh, he wasn't really. This wasn't really uh, hypnotism, but uh, he put people into altered states. Hmm. Now. A man named the Marquis de Tresegur, I'm, I'm probably <laughs> pronouncing this wrong, a Frenchman, uh, he lived 1751 to uh, 1825. He went to Paris 
to observe Mesmer, came back and uh, began experimenting with one of his peasants who was called Victor. And in trance, uh, he, he actually, he, he discovered what we call the hypnotism now. And in trance, Victor was very much brighter. Victor wasn't very bright when he was in a normal state of consciousness. Mm-hmm. But when he was in this altered state, he was much brighter. He was more profound. He was more clear-sighted and had a totally different personality. Mm. Uh, later, Carl Jung called this the self. Now, Victor diagnosed others and prescribed treatment. This is a person who's never had any education whatsoever. Mm. And uh, very similar to which I'll Casey, mention yeah. uh, uh, with uh, Edgar Casey 80 years right. later. He remembered nothing of what he said in trance, which also happened with Edgar Casey. Right. By uh, 1789, there were about 200 French practitioners of this technique using other trance diagnosticians. Now, that's incredible. Yes. You know, well, you, you're going from zero to 200 mm-hmm. psychic diagnosticians which to me seems to indicate that everybody basically has this capability. Right. And when the French Revolution came, it wiped out uh, most of these practitioners and the technique uh, dropped out of use. Mm. However, uh, hypnotism continued, and by 1880 to 1910, there was a great deal of interest in hypnosis in Europe. And one of the practitioners was a Colonel Albert de Rochas, a military, a military officer, a historian, paranormal researcher, and hypnotist who was uh, researching and practicing from 1885 to 1910. Now, this is the first modern Western individual that is uh, recorded. And he, he wrote a book, and after that, uh, other people picked it up on the continent. And uh, I ran across some articles written in other languages, uh, written on the continent. continent. But uh, that did not come to the United States, although hypnotism did. Now, there was Edward Casey was born in 1877. And he had a large family. They were mainly tobacco farmers. And uh, there were uh, a great many of them, uh, but uh, most of them were very ordinary people. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Casey, there was uh, strange things in his uh, early life. Uh, let me just mention the first biography that was written about him. It was called There is a River by Thomas Sugrue, and it's written almost like a novel, so anyone who's interested in Learning about Casey, I suggest they read that first because it's easy reading. Yes, it is. Now, Casey, his grandfather was psychic. Uh, He was what is called a water witch. And that means that uh, he could uh, find water anywhere and tell farmers uh, where to dig their wells, Hmm. and they always found water. Uh, He was killed by a horse when Edgar was five. But a few weeks later, the spirit of the grandfather came back, and Edgar used to have long conversations with his spirit. Oh, I didn't know that. So you can start. Huh. You can start seeing that uh, there's something strange going on here. Yes. Then, when he was, I think, about eleven, he was having trouble in school, and his uncle was a teacher, and his father was a very stern and uh, rough guy. And uh, they got very angry with uh, Edgar because he couldn't seem to learn his lessons. And his father actually knocked him about a couple of times one night. And uh, this spirit came to him and said, if you'll sleep on your books for a couple of minutes, I'll help you. And so he asked his father if he could take a rest for a couple of minutes and lie down on his book. So his father was very angry, but he said, okay, do it. So Edgar laid down on the book for a couple of minutes, and when he got up, he knew everything in the book. Yeah, that, that's word. something that he even was tested on, correct? 
like publicly, like that was something documented that he really did do. That's uh, what I remember reading. I, I, I don't remember that, but I know that when he went back to school the next day, he not only knew that book, but he knew everything that was, that was there, and uh, which again infuriated his uh, uncle and uh, father because they thought he'd been fooling around. But anyway, uh, he uh, Edward didn't show any other abilities uh, except uh, one time, and I put this in the play when I wrote it. Uh, he got hit by a baseball uh, on his spine, and uh, he came home and he was acting crazy, and they put him to bed. And uh, his father said, well, what happened? And Casey suddenly started talking very rationally while his eyes were closed and he seemed to be asleep. And he said, well, I got hit by a ball. And my brain is going to be damaged if you don't go and put a poultice uh, on the back of my neck. Hmm. So they put this poultice on the back of his neck, and when he got up the next morning, he was completely cured. Wow. <laughs> so so this was an indication of uh, things to come, but that was the only time that anything like that happened. Mm -hmm. Then when he was, uh, I can't remember exactly how old he was. Oh, okay. He was 22. And uh, something happened. I think he was given uh, some kind of a cold medicine, and it somehow affected his voice, and he couldn't talk anymore. He could just uh, barely talk in a whisper. And this was, this was a, just a, a tragedy because he couldn't hold down a job. And uh, the only job he could finally get was uh, to work in a dark room uh, of a photographer. And so he was absolutely miserable, and he had uh, he had a girl, Gertrude, and he wanted to marry her. And he said, "Well, I can't marry, you know, I can't marry her because, of, you know, who who wants to marry a man who can't talk?" And finally, I we get back to hypnosis. At this time, hypnotism was very popular, mm -hmm. and you would have traveling hypnotists going around the country. Uh, hypnotizing people on stage and making them do odd things, you know, squeal like a pig and right. <laughs> crawl around, crawl around all fours and stuff like that. And so somebody said, "Well, maybe you know, hypnotists could go and uh, cure Casey." So they took him to the hypnotist, and he hypnotized him. And in hypnosis, suddenly Casey started talking normally, and everybody was absolutely uh, delighted. And they brought him out of the hypnosis, and he couldn't talk. Huh. And they did it again, and it, uh, it didn't work again. So finally, the hypnotist gave up, and then another hypnotist came to town, and the same thing happened. While under hypnosis, he could talk normally. Once he <coughs> woke me. up, he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't speak again. So uh, the second hypnotist went away. Well, there was a, a local hypnotist, an amateur who decided uh, he wanted to take a crack at it. He had an idea what was wrong. And so uh, he, he talked his way into the Casey family, and they said, okay, well, let's uh, go ahead and do it. So he went and hypnotized them. And the hypnotist before him, before him had said that Casey would not go into the third stage, which ah. is deep hypnosis. Right. And, and so uh, this guy said to Casey, well, why don't you put yourself into this stage? And sure enough, Casey put himself into this uh, stage of hypnosis. And the guy uh, had, had a thought, and he said, uh, well, do you know what's wrong with you? And he said, yes. The vocal cords were uh, paralyzed because of this medicine or whatever. However, if you will tell the body, that was Casey's words, the body to go and uh, direct blood to the area of the throat, uh, this will cure him. And so the man said, okay, I, I direct the blood to go to his throat, and Casey's throat became bright red. red. Wow. And, and it stayed bright red for a couple of minutes, went away. They woke Casey up, and his uh, voice was okay. That's amazing. You know, they're using oh, yeah. hypnosis a lot for um, surgery now, we found out recently. 
Um, it's it's kind of on the rise again too for healing modalities. Well, I'll tell you what I would be interested in doing. You know, and if I if I had the money, I'd set up the study. Uh, they should set up a study with people who uh, uh, are known or who are suspected of being uh, uh, psychically sensitive and see if they can do what Casey did. Nobody's ever done that. That would be great. Yeah. That would be great. Well, anyway, so now we're going on time right now. Oh, I think we've we're still got a half an hour. Okay. Because uh, I want to get to the, the past life recall also. All right. Uh, I want to give a couple of, oh, yeah, before I forget, uh, this uh, 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 third hypnotist that uh, uh, helped to cure him, his name was uh, Lane, L-A-Y-N-E. And Lane had a bunch of problems physically. And he had gone from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, and they, you know, they couldn't fix him. And so he asked Casey if he would go in the trance and diagnose him. So he went in the trance, and he diagnosed him perfectly. Now, now let me mention, I didn't mention this, but Casey was, only went to the eighth grade. He knew nothing about medicine, surgery, uh, drugs, et cetera, he knew absolutely nothing. He diagnosed this guy perfectly. When he woke up, uh, Casey said, well, what did I say? And uh, Lane said, you diagnosed me better than most of my doctors did, <laughs> and you gave me and you gave me a cure. And so Lane went and did what Casey told him to do it, and he was cured. And he had whatever was wrong with him. I don't think it was ever mentioned, but uh, had been there for years and years and years and years and years. Mm. So that that in itself uh, was uh, extraordinary. Yes. Okay. Uh, I want. I just want to mention one. One of his cures, which is uh, one of the most sensational, uh, but uh, he he had uh, he did about uh, well uh, the fourteen more than fourteen thousand uh, recorded uh, uh, read what he called readings, uh, but uh, he did a lot. He probably did a couple uh, thousand uh, more before he got a stenographer mm -hmm. uh, who started taking down what he said, but. Uh, so I'll just mention this one one particular case. This was the case of Tommy House. And uh, Mrs. House was Casey's wife's aunt, although she wasn't much uh, older than Gertrude. And she had a difficult uh, uh, gestation. And uh, when the baby was six months old, uh, it started getting uh, very uh, ill and it was convulsing, oh. and uh, finally, uh, the mother, uh, Carrie House, uh, insisted that Edgar be brought. Edgar was living in uh, um, Bowling Green, uh, Kentucky at the time, and he came, and there were two doctors there, and one doctor just walked out. He was so angry. He said, this man is a fake, and uh, the baby was convulsing, I think, about every 20 minutes then, and so they asked Casey to go into uh, and do a reading, and Casey... Uh, lay down and uh, did a reading, and uh, when he woke up, he heard the doctor say uh, he prescribed poison for the baby. And so, of course, that scared the wits out of Casey. And uh, so he goes uh, into the living room where they were talking, and the doctor says what Casey had prescribed was belladonna. Mm. Uh, you may have heard of that, yes. which is basically a poison. And he's uh, prescribed uh, a lot. It uh, sometimes is used in medicine, but he said uh, he prescribed a a dose of belladonna, uh, which will kill the baby. And the mother said, "I believe in Kate, uh, in Edgar." And uh, so she said, uh, "I'll give him the belladonna myself." And her husband was a doctor, mm -hmm. and he went and got the belladonna, which he had, gave it to his wife. She gave it to the baby. And a minute or two later, the baby goes to sleep. The doctor goes over and puts his uh, stethoscope on the baby, and the baby's heart is now normal. His breathing is normal, and the baby is sleeping. Wow. And uh, the, Incredible. the baby never had another problem. Uh, he grew up, and uh, uh, actually, I think he uh, he was working at the, the Casey Institute uh, years later. Oh, my God. So, That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it uh, it was, and and the, all, all kinds of strange things. Uh, he 
he described the murder and who was the murderer and uh, who who uh, where what, what kind of weapon used and uh, where where the weapon was and this was in Vermont and he was in Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, and another time uh, he, he prescribed a certain medicine and uh, uh, he was told by uh, drug manufacturers and druggists and so on that uh, this uh, medicine uh, no longer. Uh, is being made. Uh, it was made 50 years ago or something like that. He goes back into trance and he says, yes, there's one bottle left. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's amazing. And, and, he, and, he said, and he tells them where the drugstore is located and where the bottle is on which shelf. Wow. That is and amazing. Eventually they, they found it and uh, it was on, on the shelf. So uh, he could. He also had far vision. He could see anywhere. Well, that that's interesting too, because a lot of people claim to be clairvoyants, but and I'm not saying everyone's going to be Edgar Casey, but they can't even remotely do any of that. You know, I think that it it kind of bothers me that not because I think they're frauds, but that we have this, we do have these great abilities that we need to develop. You know, maybe more than Edgar Casey might have had a natural well, ability. I've, I've I've thought about that, but stop and think about it for a minute. If everybody knew everything everyone was thinking, how would that work? It, it simply wouldn't. Right. You'd have no, no, you'd have no privacy in your thoughts, uh, and uh, you know, uh, you're. I, I don't see how it's possible for everybody to be a psychic as uh, Casey. Well, even he went into the trance for many years. He, you know, he didn't recall it only with help. So that was maybe a safety mechanism, too, for him so he can have a day-to-day life. Okay, let me read you one paragraph here. It tells you how what he did works. And this, this goes back to the beginning of what I, what I talked about, that we are all connected. This is what he said. In this state, the conscious mind is subordinate to the subconscious or soul mind which obtains information either from other subconscious minds or from minds that have passed on. What is known to one subconscious mind is known to another. The mind of this body in the subconscious state can therefore access all information since every mind records all of its experiences. So if you are able to access your subconscious, Mm -hmm. which apparently exists the way Carl Jung said it did, uh, you can do what Casey did. Right. Um, now, I, I'm just going to mention one other thing that I want to go on to past life recall. Uh, he uh, formed an, uh, 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 an association called Association of Research and Enlightenment. This was formed in 1931. It still exists today. Uh, it's had as many as 100,000 members and usually has about 50,000 members, uh, I believe, uh, in the last uh, few years. And all of Casey's uh, uh, readings are uh, in a library uh, in Virginia Beach. Um, and there's an inter- interesting story about Virginia Beach, which I don't have time to tell, but if you read his biography, uh, you'll find it uh, quite interesting. And uh, Casey died in 1945. And uh, one of the things, I uh, just want to very briefly mention, uh, he mentioned some of his own past lives. And uh, it, it, it's pretty extraordinary. There have been quite a few uh, books written about uh, different subjects that uh, uh, Casey wrote about. And there's one book about uh, uh, Casey's past lives. And uh, also, uh, he said that uh, Jesus had 33 lives, hmm. uh, and he uh, mentioned and described uh, some of these lives, um, a couple of which were, uh, I think it was uh, Elijah, uh, yeah, I think it was Elijah was one of uh, Jesus' past lives. But anyway, even Jesus had to uh, have more than one life because uh, everybody uh, messed up. And uh, according to uh, Casey, Jesus originally was Adam. Oh, hmm. And the and and the reason that Jesus had to reincarnate was because Adam messed up in the garden. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, that's uh, symbolic. But anyway, okay. So 
let me uh, talk about uh, a, a little bit about the, the work I did as a past life therapist. Great. And we don't have a whole lot of time to uh, go back into the history of this, but there weren't uh, any people doing past life therapy or anything like it. The first person that did was a man named A.R. Martin. He was a uh, student of esoteric things, and he formed a group of people. And he had used hypnotism in college, and then they weren't getting answers to what they uh, want to know about uh, religion and so on. Uh, he remembered that he had uh, done some hypnotic work in college to help him uh, learn his studies, and so he started hypnotizing people. And uh, uh, that was when um, the first record uh, of uh, somebody you know, doing what is uh, uh, past life recall in the United States uh, was uh, made. Uh, he he uh, wrote a book in 1942, mm -hmm. and it was uh, called, uh, let me see, what was it called? Researches uh, in Reincarnation. Mm. And then uh, some people uh, who are uh, as old as I am uh, <laughs> will recall that uh, a man named Maury Bernstein uh, wrote a book called The Search for Bridie Murphy in 1956. And that created a great sensation because he hypnotized a woman, and she described in detail a life she had had in, I, I believe, it was 19th century Ireland. Mm. And uh, everybody called him a fraud, et cetera. But uh, some people did research on it, and they found that the things she said were accurate. Well, that must have uh, piqued the interest of every hypnotist in the United States, although we don't know. But uh, the fact is that... Uh, not only hypnotists, but other people started uh, doing uh, past life uh, uh, regressions. And the therapists uh, who I talked with later said uh, they would have a client, and when they would say to a client, uh, why don't you close your eyes and see where your problem came from, and people would start talking about their past lives. Yes, that's even happening and today so still. <laughs> So after a while, uh, around 1980, 50 of these uh, therapists and counselors, I think there was one psychiatrist, and uh, people doing this kind of work, and they got together and they formed the Association of Past Life Research and Therapy. And that was formed in uh, 1980. And uh, that continued, I don't know, uh, something like uh, probably for 20, 25 years, and then the uh, uh, it, uh, it it had inner problems and it sort of fell apart. But anyway, uh, I learned about uh, the uh, association in, uh, I think it was 1982, and I was interested in uh, past lives, and I was uh, fascinated with the idea of somebody being regressed uh, to their past life. I had never been regressed, although I had... Marion Stars talked to me about uh, some of my past lives. And so I joined the organization. And uh, about uh, a year or two later, they set up a program to train people to do past life therapy. And although I didn't have a degree in psychology, and there was no law that said I couldn't do it because there was no uh, licensing of people doing past life therapy. So I went and uh, studied it, and I was living in New York at the time, and I commuted to uh, California uh, several times a year uh, to take these uh, trainings. And eventually, uh, I completed the training, and I wound up being the first person uh, completing that training and being certified to do past life therapy. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that. Now, yeah. So... Uh, later, uh, I got involved with them. I, I also was on the board of directors for four years, and I was a newsletter editor for four years. So I was, I was really into this stuff. And again, you know, I can't prove it, but uh, it's very obvious to me that the people who first got involved with this from 1980 to about oh, 1988, let's say, uh, these are all people uh, who... Uh, 
we'd known each other before in different different uh, circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, this uh, an organization like that, uh, uh, an unusual organization like that, coming together of all these people, uh, we had to have known each other. That makes uh, sense. In uh, various uh, situations. Okay. Now, uh, I'd like to mention that what I do is somewhat different than most people. Hypnotists, uh, most, you know, most people will do what their teachers teach them to do and what they've been trained to do before. And so psychotherapists simply incorporate past life recall into their uh, type of uh, uh, therapy. Uh, hypnotists uh, will do it uh, hypnotically, et cetera, et cetera. I look at it from a point of view of this is a spiritual exercise, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Uh, this is not a psychological exercise, and one of the problems, I don't know what the situation is now because I've lost uh, touch because the organization uh, fell apart, but uh, uh, people, when I first started out, uh, their mantra was, to relive is to relieve. In other words, if you remember uh, what happened to you, then all your problems are gone. Well, that's baloney, uh, number one. Uh and number two, it doesn't address really what's going on because you have these uh, problems recurring throughout lifetimes. Uh, I remember uh, one woman who had a who was just uh, getting a divorce uh, from her husband, and uh, I regressed her, and she found that she had had the same man as her husband, uh, same person as her husband, six times before. And uh, they had never ironed out whatever was wrong with them. Uh, one mm. time, uh, uh, he was her father, and he killed her by smashing her head in with a rock. Ooh. And so, you know, it, it just uh, relieving it doesn't really do the trick. And I'll tell you how you go and fix it in a second. Okay. Uh, I just want to describe uh, how the process works for me. Okay, some people, there's a group of people that want to regress you in in 60 seconds. It can be done. And I tried it once and I found it very unsatisfactory and so did my client Uh, because they they take you back. And what will happen is if they take you back to the trauma in the past life, you're going from uh, zero to 60 in in a couple of seconds. And now you're experiencing the trauma uh, that you experienced in the past life, which is, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's it's not cool. Yeah. It's not cool. So uh, I, I, I go very slowly. I, I do a visualization of people going down an elevator, then taking a train to the past. And then I say, you get off the train and you look down and see what you're standing on. Now, the purpose of that is, is to ground the person in the past life. Hmm. And so then they say, well, I'm standing on dirt. Fine. I look at your feet. Do you have anything on your feet? Sandals, shoes, whatever. No, I'm barefoot. Okay, look up your body. What are you wearing? And you keep on going until you have a picture of the person and a picture of the area where they're standing. And now that person is well-grounded into past life. And uh, peculiarly, I don't know why, but almost uh, most of the times uh, people find themselves outdoors. And I don't know why, but uh, it happened with me also. Oh, that's uh, when interesting. I, uh, was huh. Uh, regress. Very, very rarely uh, did the uh, past life uh, start out uh, indoors. And so then I, uh, we go through the day that uh, the person uh, is experiencing. Then there may be something happening or maybe not, but usually there's no great big trauma. And then I take them back to their birth. And actually, I go back to the, the point of uh, conception because there's an awful lot of stuff going on in the womb. If the husband and wife don't get along, the baby's going to know it. Sure. And the baby's going to baby's going to be upset, and it can affect it for the rest of his or her life. Mm-hmm. So I need to go back to the moment of conception, and then I walk the person through the nine months. What do you experience the first month, second month, third month? Usually they don't experience anything significant, but once in a while they do, and then we have to go and look into it. So then when the baby is born, I ask them to describe the birth and who's around and so on. And again, ask if there's anything significant that they need to tell me. Then we go to the 
most significant three or four or five events in their life. And uh, I will count to three every time they move to the new segment of the life. And uh, they describe what is happening to them. And then finally, we get to the death, and they describe the death. Now, uh, some therapists will take you not only through death, but they want to go on to what happens to you Mm -hmm. uh, after you die. Right. I never did that because that has nothing to do with therapy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if I'm doing past life therapy, I'm not doing research. I'm doing therapy, and it, uh, I don't see where it ha- helps anybody uh, to, uh, you know, what they're doing after they die. What I do do at the end of uh, this life, after they have died and they're out of body, I ask them to go to their higher self. Now, don't ask me what the higher self is. <laughs> I don't know if that's. If that's the entity or if it's the soul or I don't know. It's just a part of you that sees everything, knows everything, is very kind, very gentle, very wise. Hmm. And I'll I'll, I'll tell a person, okay, I want to count to 10 and I'm going to go and I want you to raise your consciousness to the level of your higher self. And then you will tell me everything that your higher self communicates to you. And then I'll ask a bunch of questions. And the first question always is, why did this person choose that life? Because you choose a life. You don't just happen to fall into it. And so the higher self will tell me why they chose that life. And then uh, the other uh, most important thing that I ask is, well, how is what happened in that life connected with the present life? And they will explain how it is connected. And then I ask the higher self, well, is there something that this person needs to do to address whatever mm. problem they came to me with? And this is where the therapy comes in. Up to this point, there, there's been nothing to do with therapy. But at this point, I'm not doing the therapy. The huh. higher self is. Huh. All I have to do is sit back and listen to the higher self and ask a couple of questions. Okay, and that is the most critical thing of a past life recall, and I don't know how many people do that, to tell you the truth. Don't you also uh, do in, uh, some healing with the past life? I remember going through um, your exercise, and there's some ways that you can actually consciously go back I to was, heal. I was just going to do that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I think this is this. Uh, uh, I'm going to finish with the higher self first, and I'll, I'll get answer your question. Uh, I think I wrote. Uh, I know I wrote. I wrote uh, one article for the APART newsletter, and I wrote another article for our journal about the higher self. So I know there's other people doing it because mm-hmm. I wrote articles about it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember where I got it from. I may have gotten it from Dick Sutton, who mm. was a uh, popular uh, past life uh, regressionist. But uh, I, I used it uh, very early on. And if I didn't use a higher self, I I couldn't do anything. You know, it would uh, I wouldn't have a clue how how, how to help people. Hmm. Uh, the higher self is uh, is the whole answer uh, in a regression. Now, as far for healing, this again, uh, when I start when I start out doing the uh, this, these uh, uh, this work, uh, I had a group of spirit guidance counselors, if you like, who are working with me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I can't identify them uh, as, you know, personalities or anything. But I, I know that uh, suddenly I'll be doing uh, uh, some work with a client, and suddenly an idea just pops into my head mm. out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And this is one of these ideas uh, which of healing the past life body. And the, my rationale for that is this person, although the physical body of the past personality or person. Uh, is dead, this person, like my client right now, in their subconscious mind is carrying around an image of being eaten by a lion, being killed by a spear, jumping off a cliff. Mm-hmm. That's not a very good image to carry around in your subconscious. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> and so what I do is I say, okay, now we need to, uh, let's say you were uh, I remember just recently I had a woman uh, who was uh, torn to pieces by a bear, 
And I said, I want you to go back and heal your past self. I said, do you see her? Yes, she's in pieces. Okay, I want you to arrange all the pieces and uh, tell the bear to regurgitate the parts of the body that it ate <laughs> and put them in the proper place. And now I want you to uh, send a beam of light from your forehead, your two eyes, and your heart, and have these four beams converge into a single beam and shine that onto the damaged body of your past self and completely heal the body of your past self starting from the inside out. Hmm. And then I say, I'll wait until you finish doing that. And the person will usually take a minute or two, and they will tell me they are they are healed. And uh, then they, then I have them speak to their past self, and uh, in a manner of speaking, a bond with their their past self. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there's one other thing that I sometimes did for whatever reason at that point it seemed the right thing to do and that is called rescripting and i would ask the person uh do you want to change anything in the past life you can't change your whole life but you can change one thing in that past life hmm. do you want to change one thing in that past life and i remember this uh, one woman who had killed her husband with a pitchfork and uh, I said, okay, what do you want to change? And she said, I wouldn't marry him. Oh. And I thought, well, she's a bright girl, isn't she? And I <laughs> said, okay, go back, go back in time and see the moment when he asked you to marry him. Do you see it? Yes. Okay, hear him ask you to marry him. He just asked me to marry him. Okay, tell him no. And she said no. Hmm. From that point on, she started living another life. Wow. Okay. Did she so notice a change in this life to too? I didn't want to. I didn't want to rescript her whole life. Right. I just wanted her to go and live a different life. Now this sounds crazy, right? Yes, it does a little. <laughs> it's not. Crazy. It's not. It's not crazy if you understand that all time is simultaneous. Okay, if all time is simultaneous and all events and all possible events are taking place at the same time, all a person is doing is is moving their consciousness from this one track to another track. Right. Okay. So anyway, I do the I do this uh, I I did this rescripting with uh, uh, some people, and some of it uh, was very touching. Uh, I didn't do it a lot, and I don't know if anybody else uh, does it. Or, or I know some, a few people did when I was uh, uh, doing this in, when I was in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But that's basically uh, the, uh, the the way it works. Now I want to mention I put it, I put an entire session, all the techniques I've mentioned and some more, on an audio tape. This happened about 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. A woman uh, I met at a training wanted to be regressed when she found out I was a regressionist, and we didn't have time. It was a very uh, packed-in uh, training. And so I said, okay, let me go and put the, put something on tape for you and mail it to you. And so I sat down, and I recited an entire regression onto this tape. Mm-hmm. And then I tried it out on myself, and it worked fantastic. It was terrific. And so I sent it to her. And then several years later, uh, I recorded it again, and uh, I have been offering it for sale on my website. And if anybody's interested, you know, in, in really getting a a good regression that will uh, not uh, cause you any kind of problem because you can't right. have problems caused if you have a bad gre- regressionist. But I've never had anybody uh, come back and say that uh, it didn't work for them or you know they had uh, any kind of a uh, bad uh, experience. Right. We are getting close to the end of the so, show now, so we'll have you wrap it up. Okay. I want I want to mention one thing that 
one of my past personalities or persons said, the kinds of things that are said uh, through the higher self are really uh, sometimes extraordinary. And here's what I want to conclude with. This was a, these are the words of one of my past selves. He was a Greek soldier and philosopher, and his name was Dami. And he says, in 281 BC, I was a Greek mentor living in Athens, and I taught my students that we are all gods, for which I was executed by sword. My decision at the end of that life was, I must show everyone that life is beautiful, that we're made of sunlight, of starlight, that we're made of starlight, that we are beings of light, that our heritage is joy, and that we are all one. I promised my students I would return to again tell them this truth, and I am keeping my promise. Thank you so much. That's beautiful, Dad. Thank you. That was a lot of great information. I know some of our people that watch us are really excited about this uh, interview, so I, I think you'll have some really good feedback. So thank you all for watching. Uh, we will see you next week, and uh, I'm not quite sure yet what this show will be, but thank you. Like us. Check out our webpage at SixthSenseSociety.com, and have a great week.